Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you get to hear from Morgan Hutchinson of Buru. Morgan, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing and I'm honored to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. Well, let's just kick off right now with tell us what Buru is and then we'll get into why you started it and all the good stuff. But tell us what it is first. Absolutely. We are a direct-to-consumer women's clothing brand. We're based in Los Angeles, inspired by motherhood. Um, Our mentality is a fashion first you know, sort of aesthetic. And then, oh, you discover there's all these functions needed that will help you survive every phase of life, womanhood, motherhood. It's not maternity. It's everything that comes after. And what led to that? I know you have three kids, right? (laughs) I I have three children, two, five, and nine. And it was our nine-year-old who, of course, was the main inspiration for it. I often tell, um, you know, new customers, new people to the brand that It was motherhood that was the main, um, I guess, kickoff point. But the the flip side of that is also I was entering my mid-30s. So I was just evolving as a person. You know, what I wore in my late 20s was all of a sudden very different than what I needed to wear in this new phase of life, not just as a mother, but as a woman just evolving in my style and my lifestyle as well. So... Yes, Olive is our oldest, and we were out at lunch. She was three weeks old. It was the first time we'd ever taken her out of the house as, like, responsible first-time parents. Yeah. (laughs) I think our other two were out of the house, like, two days later. I know. I know. Um, Changes the more you have. And I wore kind of a turtleneck sheath dress. I love turtlenecks, but turtleneck sheath dress that sort of accommodated the residual baby, whatever was happening down there, has decided to stay with me forever. And she started crying. I pulled her out of her carrier to nurse her and realized there was zero access. I literally had to go to the little bathroom in the restaurant, sit on the commode and nurse her. And I thought it was so remarkable that in all the prep work we'd done to become parents, no one mentioned easy access to nurse at Mm. all to me. They said, get a nursing bra when you're you know, buying stuff or maybe a nursing tank, but they didn't mention that what you put on top of those things It seems like common sense and silly, honestly, but you know, you're so overwhelmed, especially as a first time mom. And then as a second time mom, you have multiple and as third time mom, you just have so much on your plate. So I realized there and then that there was a a void, at least for me, and started talking with a ton of friends and we all felt like we were a little lost in Mm. not just the functionality of it, but even kind of what we were supposed to be wearing and why was everything dry clean only? (laughs) Yeah. And there are so few elastic waists, you know, and just all these things. Or if it was what we needed, it wasn't what we wanted. So yeah, right. that was really where I I started. That started the Buru 
train, you know, sort of uh, going in my head about how we could fill what appeared to be to me a, a big white space for women. I have three kids too. They're much older, but I wish you were around when I was having them and they were babies. I remember the trick that my friends and I did. We would wear layers. So we would wear a tank top and then we would wear a shirt over it. And then we would do this sort of pull apart situation when we were in public, but it was, it was not fashionable. It was not pretty. It was what it needed to be, but it would have been nice to to feel like we could wear something where we kind of had our mojo intact. Absolutely. Which is, it sounds like a little bit of what you guys were kind of lamenting, you and your friends, and what you found a solution for. It's not just the function, but how do I feel good about myself in a time where you feel a little lost? Oh, and how do you really find yourself again? And I think as, you know, even for our customer who never nursed, and we obviously have customers who are not moms either, but as we age and evolve, our bodies change too. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's, you know, just what we're expected to do in one 24-hour day is so insane to me and how, you know, one outfit doesn't cut it always. And so the idea was everything I'm designing, I want it to be so versatile. And I, I show that to our customers, you know, on the website, you'll see it styled three, four different ways that not really take you from day to night. I'm not doing a lot of like carpool to cocktails, not nearly as much yeah. as I thought I would, but just the different, you know, meetings with teachers and what you need to have on versus what you can get out the door wearing in the morning sure. to get everyone at school on time. Sure. I think there's just a lot of moving parts and everything that we are designing has all of that in mind to try to solve those problems for our moms and our customers in a fashionable way. What was your background? I mean, seeing the problem, seeing a gap in the market is one thing, but what was your background that said, I can do this, I can start this company? I mean, craziness? No, I'm just kidding. Always always a little bit of that. I have to admit, I do think a little bit of ignorance goes a long way because sometimes I think if you knew everything, you may not have done it. But the honest and truthful answer of that is I was an interior design major. I started out doing that right after college and I realized I didn't love doing it for others or in the corporate space. And so in my 20s, I actually started a lingerie company with my two best friends. It was called Passport Panties. It was about solving a problem too. So they were discreet, really chic little panties in like embossed crock passport covers so you could keep in your purse if you got your period, if you missed a flight, if your luggage was lost. It wasn't a shack pack, which it sometimes, you know, people teased us about, but it really was just for that moment where maybe you needed a fresh pair or something to keep in your carry-on bag. And uh, we ended up selling to about 500 retailers. We were 100% wholesale. We had an early article in Women's Wear Daily that helped us to get Henry Bindle when Henry Bindle was still multi-brand. And that just sort of got the ball rolling. And it was this amazing experience. And we eventually worked with a Thai partner who did our manufacturing. That was right right at the cusp. Things were really looking great. And then the financial crisis of Mm 2008-9 happened Mm -hmm. and kind of kicked everybody on their bottoms. And wholesale was changing. And they were pregnant. I was. I had just met my husband and had the opportunity to move to China with him, and so we just decided to, you know, put it on pause. But it was such an amazing learning experience and gave me enough confidence that I knew enough to yeah. uh, start Buru. But that's what I was saying. I do think that there is an advantage to have a little bit of ignorance in the beginning, so that you'll go for it. 
I also think that even if people give you all the advice and you have all the information that you need, you kind of have to do it. You have to learn it yourself. And the the things that are important to you and the things that you want your brand to be about are really only something you can put together. So by default, you're going to go in with some ignorance because you you can't possibly know everything. And I think I want our listeners to hear that because I think it's an important thing to hear when they constantly are getting the message of just start, just start, just start. And they're like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. You're not going to be ready. And oftentimes starting and making the mistakes are what needs to happen so that you can correct those mistakes or iterate because your audience is, you know, asking for something else. So you just kind of got to go for it. I agree 100%. And it's actually something even my husband and I talk about a lot. When you think about making decisions, which is such a huge part of being an entrepreneur, running a business, I mean, constantly, every second is a new decision to make. And of course, you can't get all of them right. But the sooner you make them, the sooner you can adjust them to be in the right direction. Yes. Sometimes if you are like a deer in headlights or you're stuck on a decision, you're actually hurting your business more by not making the decision than even by making the wrong one and fixing it. And I think that it's one of the biggest lessons in being an entrepreneur, a business owner is leaning in and being so comfortable making decisions Mm. and making them faster than maybe your body is comfortable with. Mm. I have some amazing friends with incredible ideas and they've been working on a business plan for years. But really, I think if they just started it, they would be so much further down the road because they would learn that whatever they wrote on paper, maybe five of those things worked, five of them didn't. But until you try and adjust, you'll never know. Yeah. And there's so many opportunities to start right now, whether it's getting the brand out on social media, talking about it, seeing how people respond. You almost don't even have to have a product or service. You have to have sort of this, the concept, right? And they'll tell you what they want. Customers will tell you what they want if if you're really willing to listen. 100%. And isn't that fascinating and how different that is? That's the other thing about, you know, if you just sit there and look at a business plan for years, by the time you started it, the world could have changed. And oh, com- sure. maybe it worked for five sure. years ago when you started it, but it may not now. I mean, we've evolved so much in yeah. these these almost nine years that we've been in business that in some degree, you look at where we were in the beginning and other than our name and the customer we were seeking, we're totally different business because every every little pivot ends up all of a sudden being a can be a 180. Sure. Some people come out of the gates and they're straight the whole time. But I think in this very fast-paced changing world and technology changes on a dime and all of those things, I think it's just a, a constant a constant yeah. evolution. <laughs> and something that you should perhaps just expect, expect that built into the business is your ability to pivot, is your ability to stay somewhat elastic. It's going to be required of you as as the leader. And also what you said, kind of flexing that hurry up and make a decision muscle and not worrying about if it's the right decision. I mean, of course, you want to make the best decision you can with the information you have, but give yourself the space to correct. It's going to happen. It's going to be required of you. And I think even if people that their mission has stayed the same or their product has stayed the same out of the gate, to your point. My guess is behind the scenes, there's been lots of iterations and lots of changing 
to refocus their attention or um, to redirect how money is spent or whatever. So it's just it's just embedded in being a founder. Absolutely. In reading your bio, it says that you guys uh, use or have a micro factory facility. What does that mean? I hadn't heard that term. I, I can sort of guess what it means, but what does it actually mean? No, it's really funny because I don't think there's a definitive number of, you know, or size of what it would mean to go from micro factory to factory. But when we first started, it was tiny. It was this um, concept we had to to expand domestic production. Hmm. And we were producing domestically, but our issue was it was all very piecemealed. And so a partner we were using to do cut and sew said, I think you could bring this in-house and hire a really small team and start, you know, there and have the control, which we absolutely love because I think that is the one of the biggest keys to our survival and our growth during COVID was that we did have control. And I think with any supply chains and how the world's evolving, being able to control as many aspects of your business, I think is a huge asset. Sure. So micro was a word we came up with because we didn't feel that the amount of sewers we had at the time when we started talking about our domestic production was worthy of just the word factory. Right. <laughs> so Makes sense. Yeah. Now, uh, this is very exciting news. We closed on a building last month and our entire sewing team, which has really outgrown the space they're currently in, is moving into this new building in the Arts District in downtown. So I think as of next week, we'll be dropping the word micro and we can actually feel good about calling it a factory. That's awesome. That is very exciting news. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. That's no small feat. It's very exciting. and, And we're so excited to just be a part of what I think we will start to see is some manufacturing revival. Mm. Um, one of the reasons is because shipping has gotten yeah. so out of control that it's really yes. leveling the playing field in some ways. But we are very big on paying a living wage, healthcare. Obviously, we want them to have a great working environment. Uh, we use a beautiful dead stock textiles here. That so that's like designer excess mm-hmm. that we can buy at better prices, but super high quality. Instead of just calling it cut and sew, which is kind of, you know, as I was saying, compartmentalized LA production can be that way. You go and you have the pattern makers here, it gets cut here, it gets sewn here. We are all under one roof. So we brought everything. So our pattern makers, our sample makers, the football link size cutting table, it's all together. And so I think that was another reason we did micro because we were still small. But now I think it's just a full start to finish factory. (laughs) Or it will be as of Monday. <laughs> that the, honestly, that's huge. Congratulations again. Did did you use the word micro not just because you were sort of being true to what you guys really were, but was it also a way to kind of cushion lead times with people or to say, like, hey, we're just a small little micro factory. Like we mm-hmm. might not be able to turn this kind of massive production around. Was that part of it? Why was there a need to call it micro anything? That's a great question. And um, probably just some of my self-deprecating personality. Yeah. There's probably a little bit of that in there. And then I think the the bigger portion of that would be we are a bootstrapped, self-funded company. So everything that we do has just been like, you know, one step at a time. And so I felt like when we were explaining it to our customers, because we're as we're all direct to consumer, we don't deal with any giant runs like a wholesale brand would. Right. We really take our time in terms of when we're launching and how we space that out. And we still have overseas production as well so that we can balance it. 
But when we first started, it was when we really expanded it, it was during COVID. And we were sort of explaining to our followers and our amazing customers, hey, we're not exactly sure what you need right now. We want to be responsive to that. So every weekend, we're going to come on here. We're going to have some samples and you can pre-order them. And our micro factory will cut and sew them in a two to three week period of time. So it's really how we knew what they wanted. I mean, we had mm. we had inventory from overseas that was set in stone, right? It was sure designed by us, made over there and delivered here. So we had that to sell. But as we saw like beautiful party skirts and ball gowns, you know, ball skirts sitting there because all weddings were canceled, all parties were canceled. Sure. sure. It was a way for us to really interact with them. And it was a way for us to just start explaining what we were doing. And we were having some sellouts quickly, you know, so we weren't, maybe we weren't producing a ton of one color. We were being extremely conservative in our fabric purchases because who knew what was going to happen? The world was, sure. who knew what sure. was going to happen? Yeah. And so it gave us this nimbleness and ability. And yeah, I think it, I've never thought about it, how you put it, but I think it probably was a way for us to communicate with them. Like, this is a small new thing for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little bit of grace is probably really appreciated. No, I love that question because honestly, I don't think it was using micro, I don't think was intentional for that, but I think maybe it felt safer and more secure for us for what we were capable of because we were still learning sure. too. Well, as a consumer, I just think, oh, how cool. They're a, they're a smaller business. Mm -hmm. They're sort of soup to nuts. I am going to extend that grace. If it takes two weeks, three weeks to get to me, that's okay because I understand that they're sort of managing all the things. And they're also being responsible for bringing everything in-house. Like there's something about that that feels like it's sustainable without you even saying it. It's it's you treating those who work for you, the sewers and the pattern makers and all those things with that same grace, right? Like, hey, we're a small team and we're putting these things together. Um, we're going to get it to you. Just just give us just give us a minute. So yes, whether it was intentional or not, that's sort of what it communicated. You talk about the nimbleness and I, I have to also believe that that coupled with listening to the clientele must have been a huge boost for you guys. People who didn't know you all of a sudden were like, not only do I know them, but I love how interactive and engaged they are with us and that they're really listening to us. Was that, I mean, no one wants to say that COVID in any way was a blessing. It was terrible and it was difficult and there was a great loss in it for, for many. But was that a silver lining of, of all of it for you guys? 100%. I think that when you're a small brand, you know, even though I, I know we have a lane, I love our lane. I love that we are doing things differently that are working for us. I mean, comparison is the thief of all joy. It's really hard to shake that. And I'm pretty sure every psychiatrist I've ever had has told me I'm really bad yeah. at comparing. <laughs> um, it's like one of their first observations about me. But I, I think that COVID helped me get over a hump of, okay, look, all of these other brands that are out there, they don't have the luxury to be perfect anymore. Perfect mm. photo shoots have been shut down. You had huge designers that were all of a sudden talking into their phones again and communicating with customers, which is something that we'd done as a grassroots effort. 
But I think I just felt like, oh, I have total permission. And guess what? This is actually what our customer has been wanting the whole time. Like, why was I trying to be something I'm not, you know? And um, of course, we want to grow the brand and I don't always want it to be me, but we're still telling our story and we want to incorporate as many people as we can into that story. But I felt that it gave me the okay to just take it down a notch and ditch the filters or ditch, you know, whatever it was, just be real and, and really gave us the opportunity to listen to them too. And I'm with you. You don't want to say that it was a good time. It absolutely wasn't. It's a scary time, but with anything in life, if you don't learn from it, then it feels like Mm. it was a real waste, all of it. You know, yeah, that's actually it's a great <laughs> reminder and great perspective to have. Now, having said that about you being really connected with the customer, you guys already had built into your business this really hands-on in real life connection with the customer through your van that I kept seeing on social media. Yeah. And I wanted to know a little bit more about that. Was it pop-ups are going to be a big part of our business? Was it a, a marketing sort of? play to to have this van move around. Tell us a little bit about that and where that came from. We actually have four of them now, oh my uh, gosh. which is really exciting. We have an incredible sales team. Uh, so we have one as a family bus, sometimes floats. We use it all summer long and travel as a family and do fun events. But then the other three, we have one in Texas, one in Florida, and one in Tennessee. And when we first had the concept, it was realizing that we did not want to go down the wholesale path. Mm -hmm. I think my experience with Passport Panties, which was such a wonderful experience, but I was seeing wholesale change in a way. Mm -hmm. And I had seen firsthand that the small brands don't have a lot of control. You know, you're often fulfilling big purchase orders and maybe you get paid, maybe you don't. Maybe it just shows back up on your doorstep, (laughs) which happened to a lot of friends during COVID. So- I knew I didn't want to do that. And so you think, okay, great, let's focus on online. And that's all well and good, but it's not, I mean, you know, pay to play ads, reach a threshold. Yeah. We were always very conservative with our ad spend to start. So we just sort of had this idea of how can we get it in front of people? And my husband actually came from the car business. So called a friend who owned a Sprinter dealership to see if we could get one. And what's remarkable about them is I do think this has shifted a little bit as with the supply chain issues, but sure. back then, our first one we purchased in 2016, you could get it. It was delivered in about eight weeks as a shell, far less expensive than I thought, you know, and then you have to upfit it, but you can do that scrappily. So our first one, we actually upfitted um, in my home, the hometown where I grew up in Kentucky, which is a small town, yeah. found this amazing carpenter. We're scrappy people in, I think, hopefully in a smart way, but. Sure. And I realized like, okay, we could fill that up. We could go do a house party with friends. There was champagne. It was fun. And it was just a different shopping experience. And what we learned, I'm not a high pressure salesperson. So it was me doing it at first. So by experience, I learned that's what people liked. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to come here. No one's making a commission on this. Your friend's not being tagged, you know, there were obviously right. hostess perks, yeah, but it wasn't high pressure. And so that's really what we've um, worked hard to establish as we've grown the team. So they're actually paid by salary and they're full team members so that people can go and enjoy. And if they find something they're like, great, but they're not like, have you ever been to a trunk show where you leave yeah. and you're like, 
what am I going to do with this? You know, like yes. I just did it to be nice to the sure. hostess. And sure. we don't, I don't want that for people. We know that there's always, and we tell our, we call them our stylists. We tell them always, like there's something good that's going to come from this. Of mm. course, you hope that's sales. That's always fun and, and you know, instant gratification. But a lot of times it's connecting with people and getting to share the story. And then if you can make, you know, a handful of people at these events feel like they're a part of it and we want them to be a part of it. I mean, they are. This is a family business for us. This is our life. This is what puts food on the table. And we have over 30 employees. And so it's real for us. And getting to see them, you know, like especially maybe someone who's has like a nine month old. I just remember nine, like something about when they're nine months old and you're just like, what is happening to me? Your hair's, my hair is falling out, you know, but you see her like put on a dress that makes her feel good or just is like, oh, I'm going to be able to get out the door in this outfit. You know, that's so rewarding for us. And, and we know that while it's rewarding for us emotionally, it also, I mean, the reality is as a business person who wants to keep the train moving is that woman feels good. She's going to go tell her friend. And yeah. there's, you cannot put a price on like that word of mouth from dear friends. And so that's where the buses have been, you know, out there in the world, meeting our customer and, and servicing them where they need it. And it's convenient for them. How often are those buses deployed to go out and do these pop-ups? So each bus does about 12 to 15 events a month. Wow. I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. They're teams of two. So the idea is that each person would do somewhere between five and eight shows, you know, in mm-hmm. the month. Mm-hmm. And what's what's really unique, I think, is that sometimes we might partner with an amazing store. And so it's a big public event. Sure. Sometimes it could be 10 close friends shopping in the privacy of one of their homes. And during COVID, we, we have like outdoor tents and try-on rooms. And so we just drive up in a driveway and People would mask up and it was a way to have shopping where people were engaged and interacting, but safe. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and like shopping with their pod. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. It strikes me that because, and, and you said earlier that there are women who aren't moms that shop and women who didn't breastfeed that shop. But for Mm -hmm. those who are moms breastfeeding or not, what a cool way to be in community with other moms that you, you know, maybe you're friends with, maybe you're meeting them for the first time. And your brand is associated with that good feeling of community. Mm-hmm. Your brand gets sort of linked into that. Is that part of maybe the effect of Buru? Maybe it wasn't intentional. The intention was we got to find this solution for women. I mean, intentional or not, I feel like I always knew it would be some part of it because Mm. the language we used was so important to me, even in our product descriptions, even the sunglasses and stuff we sell. It's about like at this price point, you know, if they, if your kiddo breaks off the stick or there's sticky fingers all over them, it's not overwhelming to you. So everything about the product sort of engulfed some phase of motherhood. And as Mm. I'm getting older too, we're joking more about like perimenopause and these weird hot flashes. And I'm like, no one talked about this. You know, I'm 42 now and it's, it's all these things that happen and they're under the umbrella of motherhood. And 
womanhood, of course. I never wanted it to exclude anyone. I just wanted mothers to feel like they had a place. And I think by trying to create that place, in effect, it's created a fun community too. Even, Even if people that I've never met, and some brands I think do such a great job of like really talking about their community. And there's a lot more articles on um, motherhood or specific things. Uh, Arianne Goldman, who owns Hatch, is a great friend. Mm -hmm. And we've done lots of fun events together. And I think what she's doing with her community is so great. And it's really focused about all four trimesters, which I just love. I mean, I am in no way a parenting expert. I've found that having multiple just makes me feel like I actually know less. I'm like, why are they all so different? <laughs> yes. So true. I'm like you so just true. learn, you're just learning from scratch with everyone. But yeah, I do feel <laughs> like over the years I've become an expert in what to wear as a mom. And so I tend to focus more on, I don't want to say the superficial side, but I'm not giving any parenting tips sure. in our community, but I am giving like how to wash it if they spit up on you <laughs> or, yeah. or things like that. But I think even that has created a community in a space where we can talk about our fashion needs, which sometimes feels trivial, but it's fun too. Yeah. I think that it, it only feels trivial when you say it like that. But when you think about not the physical product, but the outcome of what you're giving people, which is to feel better about themselves, to have a moment in their day where they feel joyful, where they feel put together, where they feel like their individuality is intact. There's nothing trivial about that. And so if you think about what you're actually giving them versus the material piece of it, I think you can't underestimate that. And I think that, you know, we we give so much to our children. Hmm. And my mom and I have had these conversations about this a lot. And I'm hopeful that our kind of age group and that women younger are realizing like you can give a lot to your kids, but you have to give some Mm -hmm. to yourself. And Mm -hmm. I was with a great friend about a month ago and she was like, she was talking about her mother. And she said, I mean, she was a mom. You know what I mean? Like she looked like a mom. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she started explaining it to me and it took one sentence for me to get it. And then I told her a story about some of the pushback we've received from customers, customers who actually are often moms and they'll say, I just don't like how you say it's for moms. Like that makes me feel like it's less fashionable. Mm. And I said, well, that's exactly why I'm out here doing this because Mm -hmm. we make humans. The last thing we need is for mom style to be associated with something negative because we're incredible people. (laughs) So whatever we want to wear, however we want to do, that stigma has got to go. I think there needs to be a big shift that fashion associated with mothers in no way should be less stylish. Sure. I mean, look at all the incredible women out there who also happen to be mothers with killer style. Like, but I think we just need to shift the narrative. Yeah. I also <laughs> think it, it's really telling of why is that diminished, uh, not just by ourselves, but why is society diminished that? Why does that role somehow feel less than, and that's why we don't want to associate ourselves with it. I 100% hear what you're saying. I feel like that's what I'm trying to do in this midlife space. Yes. I had a friend who said to me, I like everything about what you're doing, but can you please just not call it midlife? And I said, what do you want me to call it? Like, uh, you know, we can, we can try and make it fancy and make it uh, something that people can tolerate (laughs) to hear. But the reality is, why don't we just unpack it and realize what is our issue with it when in fact it's 
one of the first times I'll speak for myself where I feel like I actually have a real sense of who I am apart from my raising my three children and being mm-hmm. a wife um, and a friend and a daughter and a sister. But I have a real sense of what I want to do with my time, the mark I want to leave, a legacy that I want to build. And why would I diminish that? Why would I diminish this period in my life? It doesn't make sense. It's so interesting, you know, the emphasis we put on youth. Yeah. Right? And yeah. wanting to look youthful. And I love all that stuff. You know, I'm not going to act like I don't get Botox a few times a yeah. year and all those things. I think yeah. whatever you want to do for yourself is great. But I am so impressed with so many women around me who are, you know, rapidly approaching 50. Yeah. Which is probably above midlife. I mean, yeah. It's based on how long I'm 54. Like, you know? It's a, it yeah. is. Well, I'm, I'm going to own it for a little bit longer. Yes. Yeah. yeah, own it. But I think that we are the ones who have the power, mm. you know, and, and we help to contribute to diminish ourselves, just like why I probably called it a micro factory. A man yeah. wouldn't have. A man yeah. would have just called it a factory. Yeah, that's and, a good point. You know, for whatever yeah. reason. And so making sure that we are staying true to ourselves and also being proud of that and not trying to go back. I don't want to be 28 again. I loved who I was at 28, but I think I've come a really long way. And sometimes I'll look at a picture of myself at 28 and be like, dang, look, look at that. (laughs) Or look where that was sitting at that point. But then I just have to stop and think, but gosh, in those, you know, 14, 15 years, what all I've learned and created and have contributed, but somehow that gets muddled down and we all of a sudden... We forget all of those good things yeah. over like a wrinkle. Yeah. Maybe I'm just telling my own flaws and how I can get tripped up in things. But I've really been trying to focus on what I bring to the table versus like what my youth brought to the table. Not that sure. I don't love young people. I think they're fantastic. Sure. But I, I think we need to own it a little more. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I made the joke about I'm going to stay in the midlife space a little more at 50, but the reality is I've spent a lot of time thinking about kind of our lifespan, especially as women, how long they say we're going to live now, right? With all of the advances Mm -hmm. in medicine. And I've started to see that there's sort of three trimesters, let's Mm -hmm. call them, just because we're talking to each other. Sure, it's Um, perfect. And it's that, you know, 10, 20, 30 they're very specific. We, in fact, there's books written about each of those decades. We really try and unpack uh, the impact of each of those decades. And then you turn 40 and it's like, no one's talking to you anymore. And then they come back when they're trying to get your attention around like healthcare, prescription drugs, you know, and it's like, what, what happened? I remember reverse mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. I turned 50. I got an AARP. I looked up, first of all, I was pissed. And then I, (laughs) I looked through the whole magazine and I was like, what in here is for me? Nothing. So what is happening to that 40 year old and 50 year old? And now I'm adding 60 year old because I live, like you, I'm here in LA, I live on one of the coasts where many of my peers started having babies later, if they chose to have babies at all, they are hitting their stride in their careers. They're not, no one's retiring anytime soon. And so 60 isn't 
isn't a time to wind down in the way that it used to be. And then because they're saying that we're going to live into our 80s and 90s as women, that means there's a whole other 70, 80, 90 left to go. So I'm going to own that midlife space as 40 to 60 because I think we've evolved in such a way where there's a shift in what we used to call midlife, what we expect from midlife, and what we have opportunity to do in midlife. Where you're coming from, I love in this space is like, it's never too late to start. Yeah. Which I think is true. I feel that way in terms of it's never too late to start with your style. Because Mm. for me, and style's not for everyone, you know, some people like their home is where they express their creativity. For me, what I put on every day is just my creative side to show who I am. But so often, um, especially in when we're in our events in person, we'll hear, well, where would I wear this? And am I too old for this? And both of those questions uh, drive me nuts. I totally get why they're being asked, but it's like, well, you can wear this anywhere you want. Like you're in charge of your day. Don't let the fact that someone else didn't get dressed today stop Mm. you from getting dressed and don't rub it in her face. That's not what I mean at all. This is about everyone finding their happy spot. And then the other one is about the age thing. I think you're right about you and I have an advantage being on a coast. Mm -hmm. You know, each place has for better or worse scenarios. But one thing about us, we'll say about LA is I can walk down the street and have no clue how old people are. 14 to 78. It's like (laughs) up in the air for me. I mean, based on what they're wearing, what they're doing. And I love that. And I think it's given me this permission. I mean, I remember like my mom, when they turned 40, they all, it was, you chop your hair. No one has long hair anymore. Brett can remember it with his mom, I think being earlier than that, more like 35. And there were these expectations of, You can't wear this anymore. You tone this down, whatever. Some rules just, we grow beyond them. (laughs) Did you ever see that picture that went around social media and it was a split screen? Half of it was the Golden Girls and the other half was the new Sex in the City cast. And it was like, what? They're the same age? And I think that the Golden Girls were younger. Yeah. Crazy. It was just insane. And I was like, okay, that narrative tells a lot, right? There's a lot for us to learn from that. We've been having this conversation about age, and I just imagine that you have a lot of women around you who say, well, you started this when you were in your 30s. I mean, you wouldn't start now, right? Or is it too late for me? Like they would Mm -hmm. ask you, what would you say to that woman? It's not too late. And that what's really interesting, so I have a great friend who has a clothing brand. She's based in Houston. Mm -hmm. She started her brand before she became a mom. After she became a mom, she was like, oh my gosh, how are you doing this? I didn't know any better. I started this after we had Olive. And so what I thought was so interesting about that conversation with her was, you know, she started young, but then there was like a hiccup when the babies came, she has twins, because she wasn't sure how to do it. And then I didn't even realize it was harder because we had a baby already when we started. I think that one thing that's really interesting about doing starting later is, you know, that you likely have more resources yourself, Mm -hmm. the knowledge you've gained, your network, potentially more financial security after having worked longer. And so what you may feel like you're lacking in energy or time, especially if you do have children or a family you're helping to, or older parents you're helping take care of, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen as we age. They counter, they balance each other out. So you're working with some good and some less good, no matter what phase you're in. If younger people are listening, the people that you meet throughout your whole life 
that become your network, your contacts, yeah. your friends. I think not that like you're collecting keys to, you know, unlock your future, but you yeah. are, you're making these relationships. And I have just found that in this business, these relationships that you've had for so long, how they all just stack up and work together yeah. and being older, it's just one of the biggest assets that you have. So maybe you feel like you're on more borrowed time, but you have a lot more cheerleaders maybe stacking up in a pyramid underneath you than you would have at 20. Sure. Um, and so there's just so, there's so many good things about starting later. I think you also often have more confidence in yourself and might have more caution in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some really interesting statistics. I'm not going to get them all right, but in a nutshell, that, you know, women founded businesses are often, even if they're smaller, they're often profitable faster or just the bigger percentage of them are profitable because we are scrappier. Um, we don't just drop big money without yeah, doing do. the research. And I think the older as we get as women, we we just have more knowledge of, okay, this is worth it. You were just talking about the statistics around women starting businesses mm-hmm. later in life. Yes, the success rate is higher. The risk tolerance is less, but that also yields like a, a more developed idea, mm-hmm. right? But it's because our ego is hopefully a little bit more intact. We are okay asking for support, asking for advice, because it doesn't feel like when somebody says that's a bad idea or have you thought about this, it's not, our whole person isn't tied up into it. It's like, I'm asking you a question that is objectively a question. It is not sort of a reflection of who I am as a human. And I think there's a lot to that. I think also we're more capable, I mean, the number of people who've told us this is a bad idea, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. I think just the older you get, with people giving you advice, even that's not about a business, is you know more what to take in and yeah. what to leave out. Yeah. And I can, I mean, not to say that I haven't had some like soul crushing, like, oh, that's a strong opinion. Yes. But I can let it stay up there without it shifting my course. I can keep that up there and think, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that for whatever it is and keep my eye open for if mm-hmm. that person was right or wrong, or if I start to see that, you know, shift that they thought or, um, and I just think, I mean, I watch our, you know, she's nine about to be 10 and the things that can just crush her, you yeah. know, you think about the 30, almost three years I have on her and how every day we just get a little stronger and more yes. confident in ourselves. So I just don't think it's ever too late at all. I think that what we have to remember is that it's going to take a lot of help. It's going to take a lot of grace for ourselves. And we're going to have to realize that some things have to give, like, Mm -hmm. or have to go is a better, um, we're in a, we're in a phase of the business right now where we don't really have, I don't want this to sound sad. I'm not that depressed about it. We have some solid couple friends, but we're not the people who are out on Friday night with eight couples. And that's just not, that's when we're with our kids because we work a lot. And I think that's a piece of advice I just do want women to have in their head is mm. that I love the idea you can do it all. I just don't think you can do it all at once. Mm-hmm. A <laughs> So you cannot have the most amazing social life, the most amazing business, be the best mom on top of it. You have the best marriage. 
you can't do it. And I really don't think there's any such thing as balance, but I think you can have a day where you're just rocking it as a parent. And then the next day you could be an incredible business owner, but the likelihood of those two things falling on the same day is really slim. Yeah, I agree. I've said a million times, like it, it, that kind of balance, it's a tug of war that nothing wins. You know, if you're holding that rope so tightly on both ends so that you've got some sort of balance, nothing is actually winning. And I also think it's an unnecessary amount of pressure to put on ourselves. Like you don't have to do all those things. Pick and choose. That's what's so beautiful about the choices that you make. It's almost sacred. It's like, I'm choosing this. I am choosing my business. I am choosing my family. I am choosing my marriage. And there will be time for some of those relationships and some of those those other things. And that's not to say, forget your girlfriends. We need our girlfriends. But I think it's the amount of time that we're able to spend to them being able to do everything. I can't do the lunches. I can't do all the overnight trips that my girlfriends do. I just can't. It's not possible, but it's okay. It's okay. I always say I can't be room mom. That's sort of my thing. Like I'm not, (laughs) that's not in the cards for me, but we have a fun collab coming out for Mother's Day next year. And it's one of our classic shirt dresses, but in the hem of the linings, we use really pretty linings, there'll be an option to do like custom embroidery through a few choices. Mine will say, I'm not the room mom. You can have like, I don't cook. (laughs) My house is a mess. Like, it's just going to be this like funny note to ourselves and like permission that look, we do a lot of awesome things. Here's the one thing we don't do. I heard a mom one time say, "Um, you can absolutely eat off the floor of my kitchen because there's food there. Not because it's so clean that you can eat off the floor, but because there's actual food on the floor. So tell me, what do you think launching Buru has taught you about yourself? Like what has it taught Morgan about Morgan? I think it's taught me it's okay to be me. It's okay. And, and that trickles through the business. It's okay for Buru to be Buru. It's okay that um, we decided to start our own factory and own it. That's different, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's made it a slower growth process because there's been a big investment on in that side of it. Sure. You know, it's okay that I'm still in the pictures. I didn't think that was okay at first. And several people told me it would make our brand seem a lot smaller in the beginning. And then what we would see is it was actually the opposite. But in all those like doubts that we've talked about, all those little things that are in your head, I think what I've learned is that this is who I am. There's only one me. There's only one Brett, my husband. This is like when we come together, this is how we do things. But we're okay if it doesn't look like other fashion brands or if our path is not the same. Right. And I think that that gets down to exactly what you're always sharing on here with your guests is like that finding Mm -hmm. yourself, but trusting yourself. So like you can find her, but then you still have to listen to her and execute (laughs) what she's saying in there. And you know, the, the number of times people have said, you've got to just stop marketing to moms. And I think that we've built this community solely because we've stuck with that. And, um, and that sometimes I'm even surprised that I didn't waver, but I think that that's what I'm saying to you is like, I finally realized, oh, you're, you're okay to listen to yourself. You're okay to be stronger and say, oh, I so appreciate that advice, but this is- I'm gonna do it this way. This is what we're gonna do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you for sharing that, Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so really quickly, we're going to go through our fast five. Can't let you off the okay. hook yet. Okay. So what's a favorite hack or practice that you do that you'd like to share with our, our listeners over 40? Okay. So can I give two or that's frowned upon? You can Once give really two. Once really quick. Yeah. Okay. I'm assuming everyone is super versed on Botox and dry shampoo. So yeah. I'm going to say I take these little collagen shots every morning I think they work, but whether or not something mentally makes me think, look at you doing so much good for your body. (laughs) And I'm like really proud of myself. Yes. And then the other one is we travel a lot with our kids. It's just a packing hack that I do share a lot. Um, I pre-pack ahead of time. All three, I keep all the kids clothes on hangers and I pack them in groups of three. So like every day we're there, I just pull three hangers out. That's what they wear. And I don't have to think about it. We don't have any arguments or discussions on what they're going to wear. And it makes the destination. There's a little more prep work ahead of time, but it makes the destination right. so much more enjoyable. Oh, that is so, that's great. Even for me and my husband, um, now, yeah. you know, my, and all my teenagers too, but they're kind of doing <laughs> their own thing these days. Yeah, sure. um, and then what's your favorite Buru item that you guys have coming out this fall? I'm big on day dresses. So mm-hmm. we actually just launched two today. They're little and I said turtlenecks. I love turtlenecks. So mm-hmm. they're little turtleneck knit dresses, but they have hidden zippers here. So you, if you need to nurse, you can. Otherwise, nobody will ever see the zipper. But they're just cute, throw on and go. They work for all different climates. And then we also do a ton of lightweight jackets. So I think, you know, a lot of our day dresses, but then our we call them our car coats. So they're meant to just toss on as you're headed out over anything right. and they hide all mother of fashion sins or stains <laughs> or yesterday's outfit. <laughs> Yeah. I think we could use that regardless yeah. of where yeah. we are Easy in the mothering on. phase. Yeah. That's and right. then you're a busy mom of three. We talked about that earlier. What's a quick, like maybe it's even a hack, a bit of advice that you would give to a mother who's starting a business or running a business right now? So I love what you said about choice. You mm-hmm. actually put it in a way like I'm choosing my business. I'm choosing this. I actually think we should start like an Instagram cane. Like, what are you choosing? Or what are you not choosing? Mm. Right now, um, I love the neighborhood we live in. Uh, We live in the Arts District in downtown LA in a fun loft. But it is, you know, not perfect. Let's just call it that. And so I think like giving up the perfectness, but -hmm. I don't think you have to give up all perfect because I think that sounds sad. And not that anything has to be perfect, but I think just deciding what's most important to you that's going to make you feel good lean with that and then just let the other go. Go. Yeah. Es- especially um I think with any number of children motherhood you know it has its own sex then you're the sole entertainer if you only have one. I'm an only right. child so I know what that was like for my mom. For me with 3 it was the third one that really made me like give up the ghost. We can't <laughs> do all of these things like yeah. maybe his hair didn't get brushed for school. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares. Fine. And, yeah. and then I think my mom would always say to me, you know, she would say it in a nice way, but she would say, no one is thinking about you as much as you are. Yeah. And I, I think that, that I, that's too. Yeah. It's in my head. And I think it's so great. Like, just go with your life, be happy in you, because even if it is perfect, no one, maybe no one's noticing. <laughs> They're in their own world. It's true. It's true. It's good advice for kids. It's good advice for us to remind ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then if you were mentoring your younger self, what would you want her to know about midlife? What would you want to say to her? I would want her to know that 
It's content. There's goodness in the quiet times and the busy Mm. times, you know, and that it's not over. I feel like at 28, what I thought 42 would feel like, or my husband's about to be 51, what I thought that would look or feel like is because I was probably basing it on my parents too, you know, different generations slowing down. Yeah. And, and that there's just so much more to go. Yeah. Not that we're promised anything and, you know, you have to live it to the fullest, but that it's, it's not over and you could still wear a mini skirt. Yes. Well, I don't you, often. Yeah. I don't often. You, you can. But you can. But yes, you can. No, it, it, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's true. And it sort of expands their, their timeline. They don't necessarily feel like I got to get it all done before I'm 40. For sure. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then you sort of hinted at this um, earlier and I don't want to be redundant, but I have to ask because it's such an important piece of what we're doing. But what has launching Buru, what is launching this experience and this venture, what has it done to liberate you? So I grew up um, in a small town. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Many of my friends had stay-at-home moms, which I think is fantastic. I think whatever path a woman wants to choose is yeah. so great. But I wanted to do fashion design, and I was sort of told, we don't know anyone who does that. But we do know some interior designers, so maybe that's the safer bet. So it's funny to me, and what I find liberating is I knew at 17, applying for colleges, what I wanted to do. And it's this long, windy path to get here because I wasn't listening to that girl then. So Mm. now, after all these years, I'm finally listening. But it's also a lot different when you're the one that's working for it and paying for it. You know, when you have parents who are kind enough to offer to help you with college, not only is it polite to listen to them, but you should. I mean, they, there's there's knowledge there. I'm sure, sure it was them trying to protect me, make sure I was setting myself up for success. Sure. Um, but I think what I wish I had done is, because I think I was probably capable of this, is figuring out a double major, figuring out a way to do it yeah. instead of just completely stepping back. And so I think having Buru and it surviving for all these years, and I mean, there's some up and down. It's entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart, for sure. But surviving has given me, you know, some of those doubters. It's pretty liberating when you can say, hey, we're doing it. Or, you know, like some of the men early on who were like, you're just going to sell to moms as if moms don't buy like 80% 80% of consumer goods. I was, I was going to anyway. say, who are they? Like, who are those men who have who no idea them? where the money's actually being spent? But um, it's that that part is is liberating and that I'm a, I still found a way to have kids. They're definitely eating on the floor, yeah. off the floor, <laughs> on and off the floor. On, off, sleeping, yeah, all of it. Those are the liberating parts is that you, that doubt was within you, it was from outside sources and you just kept going. And then you realize I created with tons of help and my husband. Sure. I actually love that your 17-year-old self knew something <laughs> about you that, mm-hmm. you know, you were able to revisit and you had the opportunity uh, to revisit. It's a privilege to be able to do those things and to listen to those things that are our dreams. I know not every woman can do that. And so I think for those of us who can, we sort of owe it to the collective to be able to lean into that and 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 do what we can with it. Thank you for bringing Buru to the masses. I so wish you were around when I when I was uh, 
in those early years. But as you said, it's it's not too late for me to be a boo shopper now because it's not just for those moms. It is 100% not. And thank you for taking your time to be with us and to share so much and for being really honest in the process too. I really appreciate it, Morgan. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really so fantastic to talk with you. Absolutely. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys for hanging out. As always, we're doing this for you and we will be back next week. Take care. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.